It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Hello and welcome to the National Security Hour on the American Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Sargis Gary, U.S. Army retired. I'm the CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement and uh, the host of New Paradigms with Sargis Gary. And I am your host today. My uh, guest today is a good friend, Kevin McCary. Kevin is uh, an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. In the arena of civic engagement, Kevin serves as a chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California and is an executive with Douglass Leadership Institute. It is good to have you here, Kevin. Welcome to the show on the National Security Hour. Sargis, thank you for having me. It's always an honor, brother. Thank you. Kevin, uh, it's an honor, and uh, especially I know that uh, yesterday was uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and for our audiences, just a refresher, it was on uh, this um, uh, second, uh, November 2nd of 1983, when at that time the late President Ronald Reagan signed into law the King Holiday Bill, which officially recognized Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, which of course is January 15th as a federal holiday. Um, and at that particular time of the signing, Coretta Scott King, uh, who was his widow, stated that it's not a black holiday, but it's a people's holiday. I know it's been now 56 years since uh, the nation last heard from Reverend King speaking on issues and topics of civil rights uh, on the night of, of course, April 3rd, 1968, when he was killed. Uh, but as we're celebrating Dr. King's legacy on civil rights, uh, Kevin, uh, we also have to recognize the work of um, other uh, uh, individuals and other uh, uh, organizations that have tried to keep his vision core. And I know one thing that Dr. King has always uh, promoted was that uh, his vision of restoring God to the center of our work. I guess I'm going to start with the question first. Uh, have we seen or do we have organizational structures out there within the black community that you think that have been able to internalize that vision? Uh, and if so, uh, how and how has that possibly helped move the civil rights case forward? And if not, why not? Well, that's a great question. Um, the reality is, is that the entire world has moved forward based upon Dr. Martin Luther King's vision. Uh, we started to view one another as individuals, as human beings, and not so much based on the color of skin. Uh, there's a few organizations that have really embraced Dr. Martin Luther King's vision and have uh, really moved that forward as part of a uh, overall goal to unify between the races here in the United States and around the world. One of those organizations is the Frederick Douglass Foundation of which I'm the chairman of the California chapter of and have been for the past almost 15 years. Uh, we pivot off of the legacy of Frederick Douglass, the Honorable Frederick Douglass, but uh, because the Honorable Frederick Douglass was the pioneer, believe it or not, of the civil rights movement. Fundamentally, the civil rights movement did not start with Dr. Martin Luther King, but it was accelerated under 
his his leadership and moving it forward, making it a part of uh, uh, the everyday uh, psyche or idea, if you will, for humanity, especially within the United States. But it started with Frederick Douglass. And uh, if you know anything about Frederick Douglass's legacy, uh, escaped slave and then worked with uh, the, the Honorable Abraham Lincoln as uh, with Lincoln as president. Uh, and helped Lincoln refine the Emancipation Proclamation and then move things forward to finally begin to see Blacks as uh, as equals. And so that was, in and of itself, that was the launch and the start, if you will, of, of civil rights in America. So, so uh, but there are a few organizations, Frederick Douglass Foundation, we, we, we pivot off of Dr. Martin Luther King's content of character statement, uh, we constantly remind ourselves and others who are affiliated with us that we are not going to see each other through the lens of color or through the lens of ethnicity. We must begin to see everyone through the lens of how God sees us. God created one human race. That's it. There, there was no, you know, and he is not a respectable person, which means that we all, at whatever ethnicity, have the same fundamental start. We have uh, uh, we have human dignity, and we have uh, uh, you know we're given human dignity and worth everybody at the beginning of life, and from that we make what we will based upon our circumstances, where we live, education, whatever, whatever. But uh, anyway, so that that's 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 fundamental. Uh, dignity and worth is is inherent; it's innate in everybody, and we try to see everyone from that perspective. Unfortunately, there are also some um, other organizations who have sullied the legacy legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. You have uh, people like Jesse Jackson, of course, and Al Sharpton, and other uh, others with organizations like theirs that really significantly still want to emphasize race as the primary fundamental factor that is the uh, makes a difference to humanity, and. Um, with that, we see more division. Uh, we see more disunity. Uh, we see more um, animus, racial animus, one to another, as opposed to uh, actually coming together. So there, the, you know, there's been a mixed response. But you, you better believe we were much better off today, right now in 2024, than we were in, you know, 1964. So we've made some progress. There's still much more to do. But uh, you can't erase what has been accomplished over this uh, past several decades. No, I don't think you can. And uh, unfortunately, I know your perspective on uh, some of the organizational pushes out there and the institutional pushes, one being CRT. Can you tell us what your perspective on CRT is and why do you think CRT is uh, such a critical issue that needs to be addressed by our country here today? Yeah, critical race theory, CRT, is part of critical theory. Critical theory was uh, hatched as a scheme from four, you know, academics, uh, you know, very intelligent people who escaped Hitler's regime as he was rampaging and killing a lot of his uh, folks there. But they were absolute diehard Marxist commies. Okay, they came to the United States for refuge and they set up shop in Columbia University. And so uh, Columbia University in the 1930s set up these four academics 
escaping Hitler's uh, regime. And from there, they started critical theory. And these are a number of theories that cover, you know, gender, race. The, the first original uh, thesis was on law, you know, critical legal theory. Um, and then from there, it's it's really taken a life of itself. Uh, it was accelerated in the 1970s by Derrick Bell, who was a Black uh, attorney. He and other Black attorneys decided that they wanted to really gen up a, a racial uh, sort of narrative about the plight of Blacks here in America. And so they deemed the critical theory, critical race theory. Uh, the, the fundamental flaw with critical race theory is that it doesn't see everyone as individuals. It sees us based on strictly on uh, as, uh, color of skin. It, it castigates all whites as oppressors, as colonizers, as uh, victimizers, and it ca and it casts all blacks as the oppressed, as you know the victims, and uh, as 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 a race that needs extra uh, help. And this, in and of itself, is racist, as you know. I mean, you know, just my saying these 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 crazy tropes about what either side is, it's just racist, uh, straight up. But it, it also fully intones uh, Karl Marx's, um, his, 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 his fundamental uh, goals of Marxism, communism. Um, and so in there, in, in there, it's not only racist, but it's cruel in the sense that it takes away human dignity, uh, human worth, and it is basically exacerbates our ability to fundamentally unite in the workplace, in communities, or in our homes. So in that way, it's, it's really um, evil. Uh, critical race theory is evil because right now they're teaching our young children who know nothing about hatred, you know, towards anybody. We're teaching them that, look, uh, based on your skin color, if you're white, guess what? You're, you're, these horrible tropes that I just uh, talked about. And if you're black, you need to hold these white students accountable for your plight. And so we're teaching children, literal, uh, how to hate each other, literal. And uh, that is manifestly evil and it's racist. And we need to do better than that. And so when the parents started to stand up, go to school board meetings and demand that they start critical, stop teaching critical race theories, and 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 stop infusing it in the textbooks. Um, that that was a good move, and it's worthy, and it's uh, we need to continue that because I don't know about you, Sargis, but uh, I didn't know anything about racial hatred or animus towards anybody until I was an adult. Um, and 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 even then, that's not something that comes easy for me. I mean, it was just it was stupid. It was an emotional response, but I never really I don't even know what that means really fundamentally. Even to this day, I never hate, hated anybody. Um, yeah, you, you know, you said, uh, you, you know, as you say that, uh, Kevin, it's funny because you're right. A lot of people don't know why they hate something; they just hate it, and uh, they can't really explain why they do it. Uh, and we feel it as adults, but we're trying to now, based on what you've said, to even teach it to our kids. But I want uh, our audiences to know one thing. I'll tell you, Kevin, which is a thing is important. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the fact they had Nazi Germans. 
uh, in our school systems, uh, our folks need to go back and study history. And um, one place I would look would be Operation Paperclip. And mm. uh, for those who may not know our listeners, Operation Paperclip was a secret United States uh, intelligence program uh, in which we brought back more than 1,600 German scientists, engineers, and technicians that we had taken from the former Nazi Germany to the United States government uh, for uh, employment. Uh, and this was at the end of World War II, of course, um, between 1945 and um, 1959. And then, uh, of course, uh, uh, it was conducted by the Joint Intelligence Objective Agency, uh, which pretty much carried out the uh, special agents of the U.S. Counter Army's Counterintelligence uh, Corps, or CIC. And many of those guys were brought back. We basically used their intelligence information they had gathered for the technologies that were developed during wartime. And in order to be able to justify them remaining, we basically uh, went ahead and uh, uh, gave them new names. And we, guess where we put them? We put them in academia. We put them in MIT. We put them in Harvard. And we put them in uh, a lot of the um, um, major universities here. And now... Uh, the fruit of what we sowed is being harvested. And in that case, it's our kids basically uh, being taught CRT. So a fascist is a fascist regardless. And unfortunately, at the time we were gathering intelligence from them, we didn't care. We just wanted to give them a place to stay. Yes, that that is, uh, well, that is fascinating. I've heard only bits and pieces of that, but that piece of history you have there as uh, Sergeant is uh, just wonderful. Um, that Yuri Bismanov gave us a warning about this many, many years ago. Um, and when he talked to, he had an interview with C. C. Edward Garrett and uh, or C. C. Edward Gif Griffith, and uh, he he basically said, "Look, we've we've fully infiltrated every domain of American society." It may not be apparent now, but, you know, your faith institutions, your educational institutions, your your scientific, your, you know, whatever uh, it, we've fully infiltrated. And uh, he predicted that unless uh, America wakes up, you're going to be a full commie society. And guess what? We have full commie states, my opinion, uh, in Illinois and the state where I am in California and, uh, um, and other states around the country in New York. Uh, so, so I think we're seeing the fruits of what, what happened, uh, back then. And unfortunately we're not doing enough to mitigate it. And, uh, you know, uh, still, still a lot of work to do. <laughs> Well, we're definitely not doing anything to uh, mitigate it. Uh, you know, being a person who lives in uh, Illinois, I would say California is more communist than Chicago. Is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We got your feet, brother. <laughs> yes, right. we know that, especially with the CCP money that keeps on pouring in. And I do want to talk about uh, the influences of the um, uh, Chinese Communist Party when it comes to their financial supports for some of the organizations that we have here for our second segment. Uh, but I do want to remind our audiences that, um, of course, uh, um, again, you're joining us on the National Security Hour uh, on the American Outlaw Talk Radio Network on our Heart Radio, where you're going to hear the voice of freedom and the outlaw truth from uh, military uh, and intel experts. Uh, American Outlaw Talk Radio plays on iHeart Radio Network. You can also listen on our media player from any web browser 
anywhere in the world. We have the best-in-class apps available on Apple, Android, and Alexa, where we stream 24-7, and now you can also hear them on the podcast on those same apps. When we come back in the second segment, uh, we're going to talk about um, anything else that you think is relevant to this discussion, because as we do the link analysis of organizational ties, especially with foreign agents. Um, I do want to talk a little bit on uh, BLM, uh, your thoughts as to the organization structure. I do know that you've written a, a book uh, looking at wokeism and uh, also uh, really talk about some of the other critical issues that have been mentioned now during the election process, especially reparations as we had the uh, our first uh, uh, Iowa caucus, uh, our first primary for the 2024 presidential campaign. So when we come back, we're going to have again my friend Kevin McCary, who is an entrepreneur, author, and public speaker. And also Kevin serves as a chairman and president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. We'll be right back. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health. Cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to the uh, National Security Hour on the American Outlaw Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sorgerson Gear, U.S. Army retired CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. My guest, uh, of course, today is uh, Kevin McCary, a good friend, 
He is an entrepreneur, an author, and public speaker. And Kevin uh, has also worked uh, over the past almost 40 years now in information technologies and has been designated as a top performer through his sales careers in the arena of cybersecurity, uh, enterprise applications, and uh, others. Uh, he Kevin also leads a collection of proactive individuals committed to developing innovative and new approaches to today's social political issues. Uh, Kevin, uh, I guess my question as uh, we left the last segment was uh, looking at some of the organizational structures out there, uh, BLM being one. Um, and I want to explore a little bit more about how do these organizations, and I think we kind of touched upon it based on the outside influences or historical influences, uh, but uh, how do these organizations uh, square with the uh, black Americans here in the United States and others that uh, um, maybe have a hard time looking at the past history? Is it just that, uh, as I say in D.C., money walks bullshit, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. I should say uh, uh, bullshit walks, money talks, um, uh, which has allowed these type of organizational structures to kind of become the lead, uh, even though they might not be productive for the black community? Yeah, it's it, BLM is an interesting uh, paradigm that we've gone through. So Black Lives Matter was really started with the Trayvon uh, Martin uh, incident down in Florida, Sanford, Florida, uh, and I think it was 2014. So for almost, what, eight years out until almost, what, six to eight years after that, then that's when they really, you know, caught fire, so to speak. Uh, and it was based upon the George Floyd uh, you know, seeing George Floyd's uh, life being drained from him for that nine minutes and 40 some odd seconds. But uh, BLM is an opportunist, uh, opportunistic organization. We see now that they were insincere. They're, you know, fraudulent. Uh, they collected, by some estimates, so over a billion dollars. And uh, by all estimates, none of it went back into the black community in any way, shape or form. Uh, there were some trans organizations that, you know, uh, when I say trans, I mean, you know, the uh, whole trans movement uh, uh, and homosexual uh, or, you know, gay lesbian organizations that received some monies from them. But there was nothing that was spent in the black community. Here's the deal. Um, BLM were also funded by the CCP. Uh, they, they, they called themselves revolutionary Marxists. Uh, they deem that the uh, every hegemonic presence in America, every tradition was was racist uh, because they believed that America was colonized by all whites and uh, therefore they needed to upend every hegemonic tradition, which meant uh, turning on its head the traditional family and uh, turning on its head any uh, credence for fatherhood. Uh, they were against the nuclear family, they were against fatherhood, and they were against life, life in the womb. So they were pro-abort, uh, against family, against fathers, against school choice. Uh, basically, they were an anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-tradition organization. And yet you had patriotic Americans, full-blown Christian and churches and pastors uh, all in with BLM. So this was just in it, it, it's an insane time. We saw a radically dystopian response because of what we saw on that on that uh, video of George Floyd and life leaving him. So um so they they took full advantage of that. 
Um, and, and that's why we started Every Black Life Matters, a righteous and faithful alternative to BLM, uh, because we believe that uh, all lives are precious and all lives are created by God. And we fundamentally believe that life begins in a womb at conception, and we need to stand up for those lives, too. And uh, so some people may wonder, well, why did you call yourselves every black life matters? Why not just all lives matter or every life matter? And that's exactly what we're saying. Uh, so the way that we say it, though, is that every black life matters too, T-O-O. What we mean by that is when Margaret Sanger started her Planned Parenthood family, what she called it back in the day, family planning clinics, uh, her, her infamous quote was, look, shh, we don't want the word to get out, but we want to thoroughly exterminate the Negro population. This is what she said to a, a Gamble heir, uh, part of the Procter and Gamble uh, family. And uh, that's been recorded. It's, it's, it's a prevalent uh, quote of hers. And so to this very day, you got 90% of Planned Parenthoods within walking distance of black and brown communities across the country. So they are uh, carrying out her, her goal to the T, which means that blacks make up 40% of all abortions in America while really representing only about a 3% demographic. The breakdown is this. 13% of blacks make up, uh, you know, there are 13% uh, that make up uh, of, of the black population. Of that, half of those are women. Of that, half of those are childbearing age 15 to 44. You get down to three, three and a half percent. So why would you put 90% of all your resources for a 3% demographic? So fundamentally, we believe that every black life matters too, because all lives matter. So stop Allow, let's all commit to stop allowing Planned Parenthoods for disproportionately destroying the black community and destroying blacks in the womb. Well, BLM, they want to destroy blacks. They want to destroy the black community. They want to be all in on Marxism. And if you know anything about Karl Marx, you know that he was a virulently hateful racist called his uh, son-in-law, who just happened to be Cuban, but dark-skinned Cuban. He called him Negrillo and use the N-word quite frequently in describing Blacks. That's Karl Marx. He hated Blacks, just like his, his mentor, uh, Charles Darwin, did. And that's a whole other subject. But I go into all of this, unveiling the history behind all of this in my book, Woked Up. But the bottom line is this. BLM uh, failed because they had no mission, really. They were there to fully take advantage of the sensitivities of people and fully take advantage of America and change as much as they can the reflection of America based on this trope of, of colonization and white supremacy. Uh, but these are lies. These are, you know, tremendously over-exaggerated. Over, uh, over and uh, unfortunately, the majority, or at least half of America, really believe in this. So... I have a question for you on that, Kevin, because even today, if you drive through the south side of Chicago, certain areas, there are some black churches, they still have the BLM sign there. Yeah. Why is it that the pastors and the churches, even though there's been some individuals who actually were part of the Black Lives Matter organization as a whole, have left it because of these realities, but you still have the churches out there and church pastors and leaders who, are, for whatever reason, are not able to distinguish the difference between what they're supposed to be teaching, in this case, uh, you know, Christ's message, uh, and uh, what the organization that they still have the sign in front of their 
churches has represented. Why is it so difficult to basically have individuals just learn the realities of what the historical notes are and the facts are out there? Yeah, so some of it is is ignorance and laziness around just being educated on what BLM was and what they represent. And some of it is that we have a lot of pastors, quite honestly, that are just reprobate and derelict. They'll do anything for money. And this is actually, by, by the way, uh, one of the things that uh, Margaret Sanger was quite successful at is she paid black pastors $100 per sermon for speaking about the attributes, the positive attributes of abortion. And black pastors lined up in droves to get that $100. So, you know, that kind of uh, of soulless uh, and dereliction is, is pervasive even to this very day. Uh, well, they'll line up and they'll 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 fall all in with a demonic culture and a demonic entities within culture in order to, uh, you know, be hip, uh, in order to gain a little bit of cash, whatever it is. Maybe they get some street cred, uh, what, whatever it is, but it is not biblical. And so uh, so we see a lot of reprobation and dereliction going on to this very day. No, it is. And look, even in uh, 2020, when um, I ran for office here for Congress, I had a discussion with a young man. I said, look, uh, uh, you got to understand how the politician is playing you. Uh, so the politician uh, says, uh, why don't you go and block off a of street and then on that street, write uh, Black Lives Matter or BLM. Uh, and this is a street where cars drive over that particular signage. Um you know, individuals uh, walk over it and spit, you know, uh, trash is thrown on it. Even uh, animals, uh, you know, defecate or urinate on it. I said, you have to have an understanding of what the politician is doing to you. Uh, and basically, if you think victory is that he gave me a, a paint bucket and had me basically write my slogan on a, a piece of terrain, where even uh, animals, uh, you know, um, urinate, defecate on it, birds, you know, poop on it. That's not victory. But for whatever reason, even after talking to the uh, young gentleman, uh, still he just went in and voted for the same politician who had actually supported him and uh, I would say embarrassing himself. Uh, why is it that they just can't move off of a issue. I mean, if you learn something new, nobody's going to blame you for it. Okay, I have new intelligence. Maybe I shouldn't do what I'm doing. Why is it so difficult to get the uh, community to move in a direction where it's going to be more of a positive form than a uh, negative? Well, one of the difficulties is what uh, Yuri Bismanov warned us about, is that the crazy Marxist commies are everywhere, and they're all, they've completely infiltrated education for at least the past three decades. And so everyone that is in school or being educated are thoroughly enmeshed in Marxist, uh, Marxist thinking, Marxist ideas, Marxism generally. And so when you're in that, you, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're more tied to the uh, philosophies and ideology of something as opposed to the practicality and the principles of something. And so they're seduced and compelled based upon Marxism. If you love Marxism, um, then, hey, you know, BLM is, is comrades. They're comrades in arms. They're doing the work. They're out there making it happen, making us change America, change it to a commie state, whatever, whatever. 
And uh, so that's that's, you know, ide- ideology trumps everything. Ideology trumps your religious faith and your vig- your rigor for religion. Uh, ideology really drives actions and ideas, your emotions. So uh, in this place that we find ourselves with these pastors, so smitten by BLM and they're just unwilling to get off of it. And we see young people unwilling to even step off of the, the sort of Democrat or leftist progressive uh, ideology, then we know that they're captured. Uh, in a war, you have people that are e- either captured or, or, or killed, right, in a war. So we're in a culture war. Now, we don't literally kill people other than BLM riots and all of that, but we do capture. And so we have a lot of our younger people, especially, have been fully captured by our enemy, communism and Marxism. And so uh, when they're captured, they're captured. There's really nothing you can do with that. Uh, you you have to move on for people that have not been completely captured and run over by the enemy yet. And that's where we want to spend our time in the upcoming elections and all of that. Diehard Marxist commies, but you're not going to move them off center. You, you know, we got we to gotta pick our fights. We want to work with those that we can really still educate and move off center so we can actually have a successful election this time. I know that uh, you're in California. One of the pieces uh, that is discussed in election time is reparations. Um, I want your uh, perspective on reparations. And if you were advising any of the uh, candidates out there, how would you have them address the issue of reparations? Well, so here's the thing. Um, let's let's take a look at it from a real practical and principled perspective. If I were to run over my neighbor's dog leaving my driveway and uh, I killed this very expensive dog, uh, the neighbor would take me to court. And if I were to tell that judge when I arrive at court, look, um, y- you know, uh, I think everybody in, in the city should kick in and help pay for the dog. And the judge would laugh me out of there and say, what, what, what the heck you mean? You ran over him. You did it. So and so I'd have to pay restitution to that individual because I am the one who killed this dog. The problem with reparations is we're not holding the people who literally did the harms accountable. Most of the practical reason is they're dead. They're gone, way gone. But there are some institutions, or at least one institution, that was fully responsible, that is still here today, and they have billions in their coffers. That institution were the Southern... I'm not going to say the political party, but it was a Southern political party. Yeah, it, it was. was a, it was a Democratic party. I'll say it's the Democrat uh, party, baby. Because, okay. Yeah, they were the Southern party, the KKK They're party. A racist, enslaved, white supremacist organization of the 1800s that made life living hell, literally, for those slaves. That organization, that specific organization, of course, started the KKK to try to keep blacks in line. During you know you know referent you know during the, um, uh, the 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 times of um, um, uh, what is it? No, after, after the Civil War. I mean, uh, they after also after the Civil War yeah. it was uh, not Reformation. It was uh, what do they call that? Anyway, oh um, Reconstruction. During time of Reconstruction, uh, it was uh, the, the the Democrat Party that started the KKK to try to bring back blacks back in line and keep them enslaved. And uh, so the bottom line is, if you want to really do something about reparations, okay, uh, this one, I'll go with you if you want to do it in a principled way. Surely nobody in the Democrat Party 
was alive in the mid 1800s or, or even earlier. But but the organization is still here. So if you want to put the put the put the claims in, I'll actually go down to any Democrat office in the country with you. We can have some shut ins, some stand ins, some, uh, you know, you know, some, you know, maybe we won't eat for a few days. Uh, and we'll bring attention to the Democrat Party for being fully complicit with slavery. Here's the problem, though, uh, uh, Sargis, is that uh, our educational institutions, our textbooks will not lay the blame at the party who literally did it. This is one instance that, you know, we hear all these these crazy leftist progressive uh, academics talk about, we just want to bring out real history. Actually, what happened? We It's important that we bring out real history. Well, where's the Democrat Party in all of your books, your textbooks? Uh, they're, they're nowhere, literally nowhere. I mean, you can you cannot find the Democrat Party being portrayed in the negative light that they themselves created for themselves by their actions in, in during that time. You will not find it in the textbook. So the problem is, is so many people don't even know that it was the one party who did it, and and they can't that they won't hold them accountable. And so that's the issue. But um, so, yeah, reparations, if you want to go there, OK, I'll go with you. But we have to put it right where that party who did it and uh, then we'll do it together. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, facts are facts, as they say. Uh, we're going to come back for a third segment um, as we continue our discussion with Kevin McCary, who is the president and chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation. Uh, I do want to remind our uh, listeners out there that all my shows go to podcasts typically one or two days after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can also hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on Apple podcast for me and also be sure to make americanoutloud.com your daily stop for the latest news and happenings we all must do our part and share the stories the articles the videos so that we can help secure america's future we will be back with our discussion with kevin mccary who is an entrepreneur and author public speaker and the president and chairman of the frederick douglas foundation of california of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news. Liberty and justice for all. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula, with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. 
it is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out americaoutloud.shop, look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement, and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. Welcome back to the International Security Hour on American Out Loud Talk Radio Network on iHeartRadio. Again, I am your host, Lieutenant Colonel Sorgerson Gear, U.S. Army retired, and also not only a host on the National Security Hour, but a board member of the National Security Hour. I do uh, want to continue our final segment with Kevin McCary uh, and uh, his specific look on the issues of, as we have discussed, uh, BLM, uh, CRT, uh, wokeism, reparations. Um, but uh, Kevin, out of all these, um, if there's one that you think it's important to address, which one is the most important and most critical to address as soon as we can? given uh, the issues that our nation is facing today? The most uh, corrosive and destructive issue that is going to cost many, many lives, unless we get a handle on it, and it's going to cost more division and disunity in our workplaces and community. The most destructive issue at the moment is diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI. Now, why would I say that? Well, I, I've just written a book. Uh, it was released maybe two, three months ago called DEI in 3D, giving everyone a 3D in-depth look at what DEI is and what it's not. It's not written from an ideological perspective. It's just, you know, I just take facts, history, and put the pieces together, connect the dots, and you're left with what you're left with, just the facts, Okay. But it, it, it does a, a very fair analysis of what DEI is. Now, here's the problem. We see right now, this just happened uh, last week, where we see doors flying off of aircraft. Uh, we see uh, the FAA wanting to hire uh, psychopaths and sociopaths based on this notion we call equity. Diversity in and of itself is not, it's, not, it's fine. You know, we're, hey, look, we're, we're not a homogenous uh, country anymore. We're, we're being greatly, you know, diversified by the by the second, especially with open borders. But uh, so diversity is not a bad thing. Inclusion to be able to include uh, one another instead of the CEO being in his nice, cozy corner office on the top floor to be able to have an open door and to be uh, inclusive in, in an environment and workplace to let everybody know, hey, this is a family we're together, we're united, blah, blah, blah. That, that's, that's fine. That's fine. But, but equity is a Marxist scheme. What I mean by that is it, was, it, it fully incorporates communism. And what I mean by that is Marx's idea was that we should do away with any and all hierarchy anywhere, and we sh- everybody should just have a level playing field and be, have a stipend from the state. The you know the the national government whatever that national government is the state 
And so we, we all becomes basically plebes of the state. Well, he carried that notion into the workplace, basically saying, look, the, the, you know, hierarchy within workplaces is ridiculous. We shouldn't hire based on competencies and skill levels and all of that, because it makes makes this whole idea of 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 the separation between the, the lower people and those that are managing or in the higher higher ranks. So we see that carried out with the equity piece within DEI in today's terms by way of hiring fully incompetent people. So these are people who have not uh, led anybody who or who have marginal competencies and skill levels. Could you imagine hiring engineers to do a heavy engineering job without any uh, mathematics, without any understanding of physics? Uh, well, that's what's happening. One of the things that we we saw with the doors flying off is a uh, uh, an, an Instagram video and a TikTok video of the people who actually engineered those doors. It was a team of about 30 women dancing, talking about we're the engineers, this and that, this and that, frolicking down this uh, this sort of a runway thing. And th there were mixed uh, you know, nationalities, mixed ethnicities there, but they were... They certainly didn't look like if, they, if we can if we can do a stereotype for an engineer. Certainly didn't look like engineering types, and uh, and, and uh, but the result is is we get doors flying off now because engineering's not right. We're going to have bridges falling down because the engineering's not right. We're going to have pilots who are not going to be able to land planes because FAA wants to hire psychopaths uh, under the the guise of equity, saying look it's 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 really. Um, we're really uh, being discriminatory by not including psychopaths as a part of our FAA training. So now we're going to have air traffic controllers who can have a psychological breakdown and a psychopathic uh, rage, per perhaps, and colliding planes. I mean, this is not far-fetched. This, this is what can happen with these people who are not tethered to reality and don't have an appreciation for human life. So... Um, so equity is the problem because basically you're saying, hey, we have a level playing field. There, there, you know, competency, skill level, education level means nothing. Uh, we can put people in the job and then train them around the duties that they need. Now we tried that at Harvard. Harvard tried that, and you see what happened there: protest plagiarism, purely incompetent. Uh, you know, really a radical uh, Marxist who has no appreciation for human life and is willing to allow anti-Semites summarily, uh, you know, hurt, harm, or kill, uh, you know, Jewish students that could be on campus. So this is, this is what happens with DEI. DEI is a disaster. Um, so that's the biggest threat that we have at the moment that we all must have a cogent view of what it is and what it's not. And then how to get a handle of it? How do we, you know, what should we focus in on? If we if we say diversity and inclusion are fine as a fundamental ethic, what should go in the middle? And I say opportunity. I say DOI. This is actually something that uh, Governor Youngkin did in uh, Virginia. Got rid of his DEI office and said, look, what we really want is maximum opportunity for everybody. Everybody. Irrespective of skin color, everything else. Everybody should have maximum opportunity, but you must have competencies. This equal outcome 
is ridiculous. What we want is equal opportunity. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on when we have, you know, uh, we got to fill certain places within our, uh, you know, our, our uh, employment. We're going to make sure that we maximize the opportunity to get the word out so we can have competent people come to the table and we plug them in to the areas where we need it. So that's what all workplaces should be about. No, look, um, uh, as you were saying, uh, you know, uh, this is why Harvard is where it is. Unfortunately, um, you know, if you look at the endowments that Harvard has and you being in California, you should understand this. They have made a significant purchase of um, property in the wine country, uh, especially with water in California. If you take a look at the money that they have, even if uh, you have uh, individuals who used to give money to them before or walking away from the table saying that this is not what we agreed upon, they have enough money in their endowment that they could probably exist for the next 200 years uh, yeah. without getting another penny put into their coffers. So, you know, uh, okay, then you run into the problems that we said. We have a, uh, uh, I was shocked when we have a Supreme Court uh, judge uh, who, uh, um, can't really define what a woman is. Right. Uh, but, you know, uh, they, these individuals are the decision makers now because we have a lot of them. And on the other issue of as far as giving opportunities, you guys in California right now have an entire automated uh, system uh, that is going to do what workers used to do. Uh, if you could explain to me uh, from your perspective how do we get here? And I don't know you have a certain views as to what happened to where the so-called, uh, you know, equal pay for everybody or uh, extensions of pays um, uh, at a uh, lower level, um, how that was politically more motivated to ensure that the uh, black community just did not develop its own capacity uh, that uh, it had negotiated with uh, American businesses in the past. How do we get here? How do these uh, so-called uh, small political pieces get infused like DEI and um, uh, others, uh, minimum wage pay specifically, that have put us in a position where it would be very difficult to try to help the black community to progress in the future if we do not break this? Well, that's a good question. Great question. Thank you. What we have to realize is this is all coming down to this culminates. This is all part of the rubric of Marxism. Uh, this is this is where it comes from. This is where it stems from. Um, and uh, if you go back in history, I can give you a little bit of history. I'll give you a little thumbnail sketch of what happened. Uh, throughout history, we had tribalism. We had ethnic strife between uh, communities. That's well-documented. Biblical history well-documents tribalism and all of that. Uh, it wasn't until, however, the mid-1800s where we had this idea that humans are not equal. That was actually posited by a very well-known scientist. His name was Charles Robert Darwin. Prior to Darwin's proclamation that, look, Blacks are tantamount to apes, gorillas, and savages. And oh, by the way, they're still trying to climb the evolutionary scale, so that means they're still subhuman. Uh, prior to his audacious proclamations of, of, of that sort, uh, people still fundamentally believe that even if we did have tribal wars or ethnic strife between us, that you were still fundamentally human. But Darwin debunked that and said, no, 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 blacks are not human. They're subhuman. They're, they're, they're still trying to climb the scale. So when you, when you have that, 
uh, as a backdrop. And then you fast forward a little bit, you see then why there was a, such a disproportional response to blacks around the world. Why we absolutely did need, you know, equal rights uh, amendments and, and uh, you know, we needed affirmative action at the time because blacks weren't even given the opportunity to enter into uh, the workplace, uh, enter into employment. So affirmative action was helpful and productive at its time. It's, it's certainly played out its, 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 its place. But people who are Marxist by nature, believe everything about Marx, really saw that we could, you know, bring back a, an affirmative action type of a scenario with DEI, basically leveling the playing field, to, but taking it a whole nother level. Not even looking at competencies or skill levels or or past, uh, you know, past uh, performance, but strictly doing it based upon, hey, I'm I'm a I'm a female, I'm black, or I'm a you know a furry, or I'm a some other type of transgender you know thing, and uh, so therefore I need I need you know I need to be able to be in the workplace and have uh, an, an opportunity. Not an equal opportunity. I need an opportunity over and above where everybody else is, because this uh, white, uh, you know, organization that is uh, one of the colonizers, they need to go ahead and pay their debt by putting me on the board of directors, uh, putting me in as an executive. So then I could summarily start to dismissing these people who just happen to have a, a, a skin color that I don't agree with. So it, it, it really is providing a lot of opportunity uh, for people to file lawsuits. And that's why we see it on its wane right now, but still pervasive, but it is on its wane. Um, file a lot of lawsuits uh, because labor laws at the state level and federal level do not allow for the types of, of, of treatment that most whites are now having to endure in these organizations across the country. So we are in this predicament because of fundamentally Marxism, because of fundamentally white supremacy and racism of Charles Darwin back in the day. And uh, and so now it's being lived out now. And, and that's the irony of it is if you look at Darwin and Marx, these are the darlings of leftist progressives, which would mean then that leftist progressives are literally the ones who are white supremacists and racists because they firmly believe in Darwin and Marx. So who's, who, uh, you know. <laughs> and, and you know, they believe in it because the school system still uh, teaches uh, Darwin and Marx. Absolutely. Uh, and until the school system uh, makes a decision, as they have on many cases, to say, well, you know what, uh, at the heart of them, Darwin was a racist. Why yeah. are we teaching his uh, teachings? But uh, I have a feeling that that's not going to happen uh, because it, uh, you cannot take uh, one of the uh, major uh, uh, cornerstones of your philosophy and dump them. Because if yeah. you do that, then what are you going to teach if, uh, you know, he's not there? Um, it's, uh, it's amazing how the whole process works. But, you know, part of it is also, I think, the... Uh, Issues of the family structure. I know that your dad and mom have been married for a long time. I know you've been in a, um, in a long uh, relationship marriage-wise. I know that if you go back to the 40s, the number of uh, uh, black Americans that were married um, was much higher than it is today. 
Uh, and, um, you know, maybe we could discuss that on the next time we bring you back to the show. I know we're limited on the time, but. Uh, uh, just, just on that real quick, mom and dad are still living, married 63 years. I'm I'm married, same wife, 37 years. God bless. So, uh, yeah. So that's but that is a an anomaly in the black community right now, unfortunately. It is unfortunate. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's starting to affect uh, uh, a lot of Americans. Uh, you know, I took a number of Americans down range, and uh, a boss of mine one time told me, he goes, you got to teach your guys to build a relationship with these uh, Arab tribesmen. Uh, and I said, sir, uh, you know, uh, I have uh, five members on the team. Um, pretty much all of them have been divorced at least once. Yeah, I can't teach them how to keep a relationship back home. How do you want me to teach them? to keep our relationship with a person whose culture they don't even understand. But uh, he said, how are you going to get the work done? I said, very simply, you give me some rounds and ammunition. Uh, and it's funny, when I walk in with a gun in my hand, everybody kind of tends to listen to me. Uh, mm. So, you know, uh, it does the job. <laughs> uh, Kevin, it was a pleasure having you. Um, I know you and me are going to talk also on my show, New Paradigms, but uh, we will have you back again. Um, I do... Uh, want to uh, let our, our audiences know that, uh, again, you can find out more about this show and all my other shows and get all the uh, latest podcasts if you go to the menu uh, navigation bar at americaoutlaw.com under our show and schedule, and then you will be in the manual. And, um, uh, again, uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank uh, our audiences for joining us. Uh, on the mission, the National Security Hour is a tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. Kevin, God's blessings, and uh, we will see you again. Thank you, Sergis. I appreciate your, your having me here, and it was a real honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you. God bless. Much appreciated. Thank you. It was an honor to have you here with us.